Hi, Char Beauchart here. Like me, you obviously listen to podcasts. You're learning, and that's a good thing, but are you also earning ASHA CEUs as you listen? Newsflash, SpeechTherapyPD.com is offering a new discounted annual podcast subscription, and you need to take advantage of it. SpeechTherapyPD.com is the leader in speech-language pathology podcasts. They produce over 16 new podcasts with great topics, including ethics, every month. Listen to Speech Uncensored, First Bite, SLP Now, as well as the Speech Link. Here's what you do. Go to SpeechTherapyPD.com, access the podcast subscription, and at checkout, enter my special discount code to get a full $20 off. Instead of $79 per year, you pay just $59 and listen to as many as you want. Here's the code. Are you ready? Speech 20. Speech 20. That's it. Choose from over 175 hours of on-demand pod courses and get practical information and your CEUs. <laughs> it's absolutely a no-brainer. Welcome to The Speech Link. I'm your host, Char Beauchart, and I invite you to listen and learn practical strategies from experienced experts to take your therapy to the next level. It's been 22 months since we first heard Nita Reeves present her amazing information on stuttering. She gave us foundational facts, and I came away with a desire to know more and to hear more practical details. She's here today to share her evidence-based, extremely useful, and mind-blowing insights about the current view of neurologically-based stuttering and what to do about it. Hold on, grab your pen and pages of paper, because here we go. Today, my guest is Nina Reeves, MSCCC, SLP, BCSF. Nina is a licensed, certified speech-language pathologist, as well as a board-certified specialist in fluency disorders, and that's what the BC, BCSF stands for. She is the staff fluency specialist for Frisco Independent School District, just north of Dallas, Texas, where she lives, as well as the fluency specialist consultant for San Diego Unified School District in Southern California. She is a nationally recognized workshop presenter on fluency disorders. Her practical use it on Monday concepts are why she's presented over 500 workshops for speech language pathologists at local, state, national, and international levels. In addition, Nina has authored numerous peer-reviewed and media-based articles on stuttering for the National Stuttering Association and the Stuttering Foundation. She's authored and co-authored several books, including Early Childhood Stuttering Therapy, A Practical Guide. And you can find that very helpful book along with several others at stutteringtherapyresources.com. Nina's received numerous awards for her service and works tirelessly on volunteer committees, boards, and task forces to enhance service delivery and support for those who stutter. She's back after her well-received first podcast here on The Speech Link, and she will once again share her practical information and ideas. Welcome back to The Speech Link, Nina. Well, thank you, Char. It's great to be back. Um, I'm really excited about following up from our first podcast together. I know that we discussed in that course a lot of information about how SLPs can prepare themselves 
to feel better and to do better when working with students who stutter. And I'm excited to pick up on that topic now and discuss some practical concepts and activities that SLPs can do to create more student success. I love it. I have to say, Nina, you know, I've worked in the schools as an SLP and there's a lot of speech kids and language kids. And then when I have a disfluency child come through, I I did my best, but sometimes it just wasn't enough. And oh boy, I hope there's an answer to this. (laughs) Why doesn't the stuttering therapy that some of us do, me included, why doesn't it work? Well, there's... There's so much in the world of stuttering that systemically makes it difficult for speech language pathologists to feel comfortable and confident in their abilities to work with kids who stutter. I I think, number one, we uh, are... Our research shows and our anecdotal clinical evidence when we talk to our colleagues is that they feel that they have had either not enough or not appropriate training in fluency disorders. Things have tightened at universities and it's not their fault. I'm not blaming university programs in any way, shape or form, but I'm saying it's part of the problem that over the years, um, in the higher levels, uh, ASHA included, I must say, stuttering has gotten lost in the shuffle. And you don't have to go very far or talk to too many SLPs without finding that story that they're the three hour course. I had two three hour courses in stuttering and hours required where I sat across from people who stutter. And we find now that sometimes fluency disorders training happens um, in a one hour course or folded into a three hour course with voice and articulation. And that's happening more and more often. Um, plus the fact that a lot of our, uh, professors, um, who are specialists in stuttering, um, a lot of the courses are not being taught by those people. And so there's enough, um, enough impact, uh, about the training that's just part of the problem. I think the, uh, the second thing that makes it feel like our therapy isn't working is that there are a lot of people who feel very uncomfortable talking about stuttering. The history Mm. of this disorder is that somehow we were told in the past, don't talk about it, don't bring it up, you could make it worse. And that has lingered. Even though we've disproven that over and over again with great research, It is okay to talk about stuttering, but I feel that clinicians often don't have that that message in their minds that it's okay to talk about talking and to talk about stuttering. And another thing I think uh, we've had too narrow of a focus, the overarching goals of therapy in our past, in our profession, have been focused on fluency and Let's face it, that's like chasing a greased pig 
in my opinion. <laughs> and I'm sorry to say it in the colloquial, but stuttering. <laughs> the, we know we know in stuttering that the only consistent thing about stuttering is that it's inconsistent. And so wow. when we focus just on fluency, we feel like failures. Um, that was a lot of Fs all in one, a little alliteration for you. But Very we nice. feel like failures because the kids are still stuttering. Well, when you realize that stuttering is a neurologically based disorder and that when we're talking about school age stuttering, their therapy doesn't cure that. And it doesn't make kids not stutter and it doesn't give them a certain percentage of fluency because one day we could make a goal for fluency and another day we wouldn't. And that's just the nature of stuttering. It doesn't have anything to do with our therapy in many respects, but we feel like it does. Wow. Um, so that over overall, the fact, I think if you just think about it, why therapy isn't working for SLPs or for the students has to do with the things we just talked about and the fact that we can't fix it. And we're kind of a, we're, we're a profession that likes to get the answer and take care of that thing. And stuttering doesn't fit into that box. Interesting. So when we step back and realize that this is a bigger picture, that we're helping kids communicate successfully, whether they stutter or not, then we can start to see and feel more comfortable and confident in what we do. And our students will benefit from that. Oh, Nina. <laughs> that was wonderful. And I, I don't say that lightly. In some odd way, I feel better. <laughs> and yes, you answered it and more. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's unfolding a lot, right? That is yeah. unfolding a lot. I know mm -hmm. I'm going to have to go back and re-listen to what you just said, girl, because that was a lot there. Those three things that you said, maybe it was four, I lost track, but wow, that made so much sense. Okay. I know at the end of our first podcast, I was impressed with what you said. I loved it, but I came away hungry for more and the specifics as to what to do. Go ahead and take it away. Maybe give us a little bit of what you said mm -hmm. last time to lay a base and then let's get into the practicalities. Now you said something about a neurological piece. Great. I love that idea. And I think um, when you when you hear the word neurological, the the moment that those of us who were trained before um, where the myths about stuttering surrounded our profession, that this was about anxiousness or nervousness, that it was psychologically based, that has all been disproven. Mm -hmm. Like it's gone. And if you didn't get the memo, I'm giving it to you now, right? <laughs> yeah. And let me, I mean, Scott, Scott Yaris, my co-author and my partner in Stuttering Therapy Resource and I, we are on a mission to make certain that that's one of the many things we break down in the world of stuttering that lingers. It still lingers in the zeitgeist of the world and society that stuttering is some kind of emotional, psychological issue. It is not. It is based in neurology. It is science. And 
it can run in families. Mm -hmm. So the origins could be genetic for some, Mm -hmm. but neurologically based for all. And that's not head injury, brain, you know, that's the development, a complex interaction in the factors of development for some kids. And that um, there's so much, I mean, I don't want to go too far because I could go down a huge, you know, research theoretical rabbit hole, but let's stay with the idea that stuttering is neurologically based and can run in families. Okay. Let's go with that. Okay. Let's go with it. Now. Yeah. Now, having said that, that opens us up as clinicians to help people and society, families, kids, teachers, siblings, and everyone start to see this as much more than the moment of stuttering. Uh, Joseph Sheehan's iceberg, still one of the best depictions of the big picture of stuttering therapy, is that the ten, about 10% of the, what you see on the surface is actually the moment you see of a child stuttering. 90% of the disorder is under the surface. It's the reactions to the stutter. It's the environment's reactions to the stutter and the child's reactions to the environment. It's the impact that stutter has on that child's communication and Mm self-esteem. So all of those areas, the ICF model that is in the ASHA scope of practice helps us understand that this is that all of the things we work on, and especially in stuttering, in my opinion, are so much bigger than what you see a child doing. That stuttering can impact them in a lot of ways, not just the moment of stuttering. So that, as we talked about in our first podcast, is one of the biggest things SLPs can do for themselves is to make sure they're not just focusing on fluency and the moment of stuttering, but seeing that bigger picture and both assessing and then addressing those areas for kiddos. Oh, yeah. This is just, it's thrilling. <laughs> okay. As we move into the practical pieces, yeah. I know that you have five prerequisites. Mm-hmm. Did you want to address those? Yeah, let's start there. This is the more logical part. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm going to take each one and sort of break it down a bit into practical activities. Thanks, Nina, for the concepts. This is great. Now, how do I do it? So I'm going to do both of those things. Very good. (laughs) In an admittedly shortened version, right? You know, we we only have this this amount of time. So we're going to do the best we can with the time we have. But I want to make sure that we set the stage and then get into How do we actually give me some ideas for what I'm going to do? Well, quite literally tomorrow or Monday, right? (laughs) Um, Because as we're doing this, wherever the, whenever this airs, this is in the midst of the school year and this school year among, (laughs) among all school years is going to look a little different. But as Scott and I keep talking about Char, No matter how you are giving the therapy, whether it be virtual, whether it be face-to-face, no matter how you are doing the therapy, the concepts 
and the foundation of stuttering therapy doesn't change. It's sort of the art that changes. The science does not. Ah, good way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, top five prerequisites. So I think I alluded to this one already. We've got to have a more comprehensive assessment that sets us up for great therapy planning. So not just counting stutters. Mm-hmm. That doesn't really tell us how that impacts the child, whether they're raising their hand in class, whether they care about their stuttering or not, whether it's other people that care about their stuttering or not. So we've got to have that comprehensive assessment. Um, And I would follow the ICF model and make sure that I'm getting the areas of function, reaction, environment, and impact involved in that. So I'll refer you to the ASHA scope of practice. Okay. Oh, and the ASHA practice portal for stuttering. Okay. I don't know if, if you haven't been to the ASHA practice portals for all of the things that we do in, in speech pathology, of course, there's one on stuttering and it's got some good basic things to get us started. Um, I, I really believe in, as I've morphed in my career and I learn every day, I'm, I'm a fluency specialist, but I learn something new every day when I work with these kiddos and their families. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's become important um, in the world of doing better with stuttering therapy is what I'm calling stutter detective. We as SLPs need to, whenever we're sitting in front of a kid, even if it's a child we have worked with in the past, finding out and being a detective of what this child, and I would say all the stakeholders around the child, know and don't know about stuttering or stuttering therapy. Wow. Okay. What kind of information have they Googled (laughs) that is either unbelievably wrong or incomplete? And even if this child has been in therapy for seven years, and you get this kiddo transferred into your caseload or to your clinic, it's time to go back and go, okay, it says in all these reports that you know all of this. What do you remember? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is different than what you were taught. Yes. Oh, yes, definitely. What? Yes. It's, it's the difference between heard of, mm-hmm. know, and can you. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's a good progression. Those levels are very different from each other. And so we want to be stutter detectives, and I'm going to give some ideas about that. Um, We want kiddos, we have to learn the facts and dispose of the myths and then help the kids and the parents and the teachers understand the facts about stuttering. Char, we just talked about old training and the old ideas about stuttering and how they still hang around in different cultures. It doesn't matter if it's the Western way of thinking about this in other cultures, that may not be the way they think about stuttering. And we have to be culturally significant in our um, practice to find out what does your culture understand, know, think, guess about stuttering. Mm-hmm. And so we want we want to find out 
and then help people learn the facts and dispose of the myths surrounding stuttering. And there's many. Okay. We want to, number four is to explore speech and stuttering. Um, to make sure that we're not just going from referral to assessment to therapy techniques. That is why kids never improve, is that we just go on autopilot. And there's a lot of background information that kids need and can use to be more successful in the long term. So I'll talk about those. Wow, that's huge. It's huge. It's like saying to a kid, here, you've learned how to dribble the ball in basketball. So now go play a game. And, and I use that analogy and any analogy, a child, if a child's into sports, we use sports analogies. If they're into music, we use music analogies about you've got to have the basics before you can build more. Mm -hmm. And so we'll talk about that. And then the fifth one is if and when strategies are appropriate for a kiddo, notice how I said that, and I'm going to say it again that way. Because so much of therapy has been, let's get to the strategies. I want to help us back up a little bit and decide when, if, and how we're going to do that. But when that is appropriate, one of the missteps and one of the things we miss as a prerequisite is that we want to outline all of the strategies that are available and talk about their intent and put it into perspective before we launch into them. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to talk more about that because I, I don't know if that one sentence makes a lot of sense, but I'm going to, I'm going to drive it home when we get to number five in the practical things. I'm enthralled. I love this. Okay. Um, do you have these in writing somewhere? Are they in your book or books? Oh, Thanks for, yes, let's give people resources. Um, yes, we do a lot of social media. So they're on our Facebook page and in our Instagram. We have so many free resources on our website, uh, practical tips, um, which are handouts, uh, practical thoughts, which is our blog. And then we have videos of a lot of things. And I'm going to sort of uh, share those with you as we go down the line. But we also have, you mentioned our early childhood book, mm -hmm. but we also have the school age stuttering therapy, a practical guide. We have a booklet for teachers. We have two booklets, one for early childhood parents, one for school age parents. We have lots of resources that can help SLPs feel supported in maximizing their ability to work with kids who stutter. Okay. And do they list the myths, so to speak? Yes. And I'm going to talk about that. I'll give you some ideas of where to find those too. Perfect. Okay. Let's jump in. All right. Let's get started with, um, so when we're learning about speech and stuttering, okay, I'd love to go into the whole assessment thing, but we would need another two hours. So I'm just going to start with the therapy parts. Okay. And something I'm doing right now as we record, which is the beginning of a school year, but I would, I have done it mid-school year. I've done it anytime. If the child has never learned about stuttering and shared it with others, I do what I call the listener letter. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. The listener letter. Now it's in various forms in different books. The, the Stuttering Foundation book I co-wrote years ago um, has what we call the teacher letter inside of it. I've morphed that idea over the years to make sure that it's not just for teachers. I started to realize that what these kids were putting on the teacher letter was something that every listener in their world should have access to. So now we call them our listener letters. Okay. So let me give you a couple of prerequisites because I'm starting to really think about, you can't just launch into a listener letter. You have to think about, okay, does this child have age and appropriate sort of readiness, appropriate understanding of the facts and myths about stuttering? which we'll talk about in a minute, Mm -hmm. but that's a prerequisite for the listener letter because inside the listener letter are some facts and some myths. So we want them to have that rapport with the SLP that you're talking about stuttering and speech and you're talking about the facts and the myths. And in the Stuttering Foundation book has this, our school age book has it. Um, we have practical tips and blogs on it. So there's information on this. But the steps to a listener letter of what I'm doing right now in my own practice is I want to make sure that the children, A, have an intro of themselves. Okay. It's not just, hi, listener, I stutter. It's a lot about, hi, here are some fun facts about me. Okay. Okay. And if you're sending it to the, to the school, here are some school goals I want to do for the year. Okay. But the fun facts include, I stutter sometimes or however the child wants to do that. How, you know, if it's an older kiddo, they might just put, I stutter. Um, I let the kids pick their own language about how they're going to introduce that fun fact about themselves. Step B, we're going to do facts about stuttering. And so that means we have discussed them, at least a few. Um, And we adjust this to the age and the readiness of the child, the cognitive ability. But the Stuttering Foundation website, the National Stuttering Association website, various websites of support organizations and in ASHA, okay, there are facts about stuttering out there. And then there are the myths, Okay. And so, um, and we'll talk about how to play some fun facts uh, about stuttering in a minute. But so we put in some facts about stuttering that the child wants to put in a few that, that the listeners should know. Then in a T chart or however the child wants to do it, I like to do what listeners should do and not do. Mm-hmm. And that's a part of the teacher letter in the Stuttering Foundation workbook about attitudes and emotions. And so we have to help talk with kids about what they want listeners to do and not do in response to their stuttering. Mm -hmm. Okay. I really want to help listeners stop giving advice. Yes. Okay. You know, stop, slow down, start over, take a deep breath, think about what you're going to say, just relax, use your tools, all of those things. Can we stop that, please? Can Can we just stop? Yes. It is well-meaning, heartfelt, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes. You can't see them, but here I am. Help. They're trying to help. 
but it is not helpful in the long term. And it can make kids feel like, oh gosh, I'm doing something wrong. Yes. There's an unintended consequence of quick fix advice. So things like that go in the to do, not to do. Let's be a great uh, patient listener. Just let me finish. Don't treat me. I have a lot of kids who put don't treat me different. Mm-hmm. Just let me talk. Give me extra time. Little things that give them the space they need, but they don't want people to fix them. I love this because it's coming from the person that is stuttering. Yes. It's not coming from me, the SLP. It's not even coming from the parent. <sighs> it's coming from the child. This emphasizes this is who I am. Mm-hmm. And here's how I would like to be treated by you and others. This is amazing. I love this. Okay. I just wanted to let you know. Well, I'm glad you you said that, Char, because um, another one of our missions is to make sure, um, and Scott's, all of Scott's research right now is all about the, the speaker's experience of stuttering. Can we stop focusing on what the listener experiences? Exactly. Who cares what I experience right. in their stutter? It's not about me. It's about them. And their voices need to be the ones to be heard. And this helps do that with our, with our, you know, we, you got to have a guide, but the guide isn't going to shape. It's just going to help introduce a bigger picture. Right. And so that's our role in this. And then uh, the other step that I want my kids to put somewhere in their brochure, letter, email, however they're going to send this or give it out is like a closing, you know, um, thanks for reading. If you want more information, and I usually have them link support organizations or give them the SLP's contact info so that teachers or uh, grandparents or uh, parents even uh, feel like they have other places to go to get very good information. I don't, I try not to just let people Google stuttering. It's not a healthy thing. Right. So that's, that's the listener letter. Okay. It's one of many things that we can do to help keep kids learn about speech and stuttering, um, and share it with others. Um, I also want to talk about that stutter detective that I mentioned. Have like Scott and I write what we call our checking in forms that are in our school age um, and in our, our early childhood guides, sort of checking in with the, the child and with the people around the child. Um, I got to tell you, the prerequisite here, I'm going to be really honest, is you've got to have a rapport with the kiddo. Um, at first, before you start getting them into these kind of questions. But the real prerequisite to this is we as professionals have to get rid of our egos. <laughs> because I'm about to have you, um, you know, the, the listeners here talk, we're going to talk about questions that we need to get answers to from the kiddos about their therapy, their past therapy, their understanding of stuttering, that may include our therapy. And so we have to be, yeah, (laughs) we have to be ready for their honesty and let our egos at the door. Okay. All right. And so uh, here are some steps. Um, 
Number one, find out what questions you need answered. Is this a kid that you've been working with? Is this a kid that just came on your caseload? Um, adapt the language to meet the child. But we're, we're really trying to find out, geez, a, a whole bunch of things. So this is not an exhaustive list. But for example, what have you liked or not liked about speech therapy? Mm-hmm. What has helped or not helped you? Um, I always include how do other members of your family or your parents help, quote, air quote, help with stuttering? What do your parents do or say about your stuttering? I'm trying to dig a little bit because it may be in a report, but I want the child's perspective if they're old enough to give it. Yes. And then we talked about that. What do you know about stuttering or remember about stuttering? And I don't think it's a bad idea to ask kids what they're expecting from therapy. So like, while I'm in therapy, I hope that dot, dot, dot. What I really want Miss Nina to do is, what are their expectations? How are we going to align? a ther- How are we going to make a therapeutic alliance if, you know, if we don't know what parents and kids are expecting from us? Right. Because that can get in the way. So we're paying, we're playing stutter detective. And when I'm doing this, it's either a questionnaire. So step two is to engage in play or sort of a writing activity that keep it from being an inquisition. Yes. yes. <laughs> I don't need a lab coat and a clipboard for this one. Kids <laughs> are so turned off by that. So let's just sort of have a fun interview. You don't need all the information in one moment. But try to find out where this kiddo is at um, and gather that information from parents and teachers as well. Yes. Informative. Um, What are some things, you know, in in 30 seconds or less, what do you usually hear? Oh, where I ask. It depends. Of course, everything depends on the child and their therapy before or no therapy at all. But I hear everything from... You know, um, I think I stutter because uh, I fell down on the playground when I was two to I like stuttering therapy because we play games. <laughs> right. Um, I don't like it because I get called out of class. Um, uh, you know, when I'm with adolescents, they, they're like sometimes they give me, you know, nothing's helped me. Yeah. I'm still stuttering. Well, that plays right into the what do you expect from therapy? Right. Did anybody not ever have the conversations, you know, the building foundational conversations with this kiddo? If he's been going through therapy, expecting someone to cure him, no wonder he doesn't want to come to therapy. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, or those, those techniques, they don't work. Well, what techniques? Um, so I was taught to slow down and take a deep breath. Okay. Those are not techniques. <laughs> so, okay. So now I've got plenty wow, boy, do I have more for you. And that can change perspectives. Yes. Um, But I really think that, uh, I I thank you for asking that question, Char, because one of the things that happens a lot is that what was in the report and what the therapist before them, before me, thought they taught this child, and they probably did. Yes. The kiddo doesn't remember. Yes. He either wasn't ready 
You know, I don't need to throw a therapist under the bus. This is a lot of factors when therapy is starting to break down. It's not just the therapist or just the family or just the kid. It's about how, what were we working for and how did we do it? And was there expertise? And did you know why you were doing what you were doing? Or was it some prescribed program? Programs don't work. Well, I'll tell you, here's what's going through my little brain. This is not just for kids that stutter. This is for kids in speech therapy, in language therapy, in voice therapy. It's the same thing. Some of the responses that you listed there are things that the kids might say if I'm working with their language. I mean, it's therapy. You know, Char, I have a, I'm looking at my, my plaque in my office that says life is now in session. And we talk always about the fact that stuttering therapy, along with everything that we're doing to help kids overcome some kind of struggle, Mm -hmm. is life therapy. And so the things we're talking about now, yes, can be adapted and used in many of the things that we do as speech language pathologists across the board. This is great. Okay. Next. Ooh, keep us going. Next. All righty. So fact and false. Okay. I've alluded to you that we're going to get deeper into this. And this is one of those things that we have to be careful with as professionals to make sure we're giving out factual information. So we have to know the good information where it is. Okay. Okay. Evidence-based practice, but also experiential understanding. So the support organizations, ASHA, um, all of these areas that we can find good truths about stuttering. And I just wrote, I'm, I'm writing right now, interestingly enough, uh, an Instagram post that's going to talk about influencers versus experts. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, as I work with kiddos of this age range, I find out that they are very confused about um, they say anybody, you know, I've had a, a teenager tell me, well, he's got 34,000, you know, followers on Instagram, so he must know what he's talking about. <laughs> yes. Interesting. Okay. Yes. So I, I want us to all think about that when we're starting to gather facts about stuttering, just a little, you know, professional, let's stay with our evidence-based practice. And then The prerequisite to getting into a fun activity is to make sure you know what they think they know, guess, have heard about stuttering. Start, that's that we're overlapping into stutter detective again. Yes. Right? And so find out what they know before you launch into this, or I'm sorry, what they think they know. Um, And then, because that may be part of the myths that you're going to have to debunk. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, discover what they know is a prerequisite and then be prepared for the chance of some tough conversations as you go through this. Yeah. Because I'm not here to convince a kid of anything. I'm here to help open up more ideas and some factual knowledge about what's going on. Very good. Okay. Yes. Okay, so let's collect the facts. I'm watching our time here. Some steps in fact and false. Number one, collect the facts from that reputable site. Uh, 
Um, adjust them to the age and readiness of the child. Right. Okay. Fine. You know, and then um, when we play fact and false, right? It's like you can have a game, you can do a quiz. I've I've done Quizlet with this. It's fun. There are different things out there that you can find fact and false and have it, you know, be, create your age appropriate activity and then have a little fun with this so that it's not all so serious. Um, I've had my older students, you know, you have to go collect three facts about stuttering and bring them back next week. Oh, okay. And then we talk about where did you get this? You know, Wikipedia is not an encyclopedia. Don't bring me Wikipedia. Yes. Um, all of these things, you know, it's fun. And then make sure another step is that you follow up afterwards. After the child has processed learning some new facts and finding out some things that are myths that they might have believed, then you have to have more conversations on that. It's not just about a one and done. Mm -hmm. And then make sure that you're sharing the list in the stutter notebook, which we all have to have our stutter notebook. We've got a practical tip on that. Um, we write a, a half a chapter on it in one of our books, but the stutter notebook, uh, there's a practical tip on our website, um, on how to create a stutter notebook, keep that in, you know, share that list. It's not just, you know, we're keeping this a secret between the kid and the speech therapist. Let's get that stuff out there. Okay. Okay. So number four, four of five. Um, so exploring that speech and stuttering, as I was talking before in the introduction, um, we want to make sure that kids, they can be so much more successful when they understand the foundation of how a communication system really works. And so we're going to adjust this to the age and the cognitive abilities, of course, but we want to make sure that kids understand how talking happens and then what happens when stuttering happens. Mm -hmm. And so a prerequisite. Um, I like to make sure that this is, we call it the science of stuttering, to demystify, as some of my colleagues have called it, to demystify stuttering and make it more like a science. It's not this, you know, weird, unknown thing that swoops in and takes over their mouth. There's some science behind it. And when we're exploring it, we want to make sure a prerequisite would be for us to change our idea from being a teacher of this to being an explorer. Uh -huh. So when we're doing things like the speech anatomy or the speech machine, Ramag and Bennett talked about it way back in 97 and others have talked about it all the time. You, when you're exploring the speech anatomy or the speech machine or the speech man, however you're going to do it, making sure it's not just a handout and here's your lips and here's your tongue, but really get into, let's say, pa, pa, pa. Let's say, la, la, la. What are you using? Mm -hmm. Let's play with our vocal cords and feel them from the outside and, and put your hand on your neck and go, ah, what is that? And really explore that anatomy in the speech. Okay, good. Okay, and then exploring some feeling of the tight and loose speech muscles because when we learn anatomy, we learn that we use muscles to move everything around. And when we stutter, sometimes our muscles get tight. Okay, so like la -la lady, oh, oh, that was my tongue up against my teeth. It was really pushing hard. 
I'm, I'm making everybody nine years old right now, but, um, you know, with my older kids, I do the biology book and stuff, but we have to explore that, that proprioceptive awareness that children can have and start to get before we ever touch a technique. You can't learn to loosen up your speech muscles if you don't know where they are and what they're feeling. Right. So this is the steps to exploring. And I also like to include, you know, exploring and observing effective communicators, including effective communicators who stutter. So important. I don't want kids to go, oh, look, all the fluent people are great communicators, but people who stutter aren't. Can we talk about, I don't know, people running for president who stutter and people for, you know, there are a lot of successful and they don't have to be famous. Go on the National Stuttering Association website and find a lot of, I don't know, my husband's a veterinarian who stutters. And there are, you know, policemen and there's all these connections they can make to effective communication, not being fluent speech. Good. Woo. Love it. So there's so much more we can discuss, you know, exploring thoughts and feelings about stuttering, but uh, wow, we don't have time today. Next time. Yes. We've, we've got to make this a trifecta. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making a note. Number five. Okay. So because everyone who ever asks me to speak and present to speech pathologists wants me to talk on quote unquote, air quote, here it comes, the tools. And it's, it's what everybody thinks they need because they haven't stepped back and done the ICF model, <laughs> that bigger picture. It's like, I got to get these tools because we got to get these kids to be more fluent. And this is, you know, we've got to help them not stutter, except that it's a neurologically based disorder. And I haven't rewired anybody's brain lately. Don't know about you. But so let's talk about strategies for a minute because it isn't it it's not an unimportant part of what we do it is an important part of what we do it's just not all of what we do in stuttering therapy so i i use that caveat before i launch into some of these um to be more successful and that was our title you know like how can we increase success one of the things i think that as we start to talk about strategies with kids I find out that people just launch into whatever strategy they know, and they don't talk about all the strategies with kiddos. So if a child is sitting in front of them learning easy onsets, and they don't know that there's other strategies for helping them communicate easier, and they don't feel good about their easy onsets, they feel like they're stuck. Mm -hmm. Because we as professionals haven't given them that bigger picture that there's more than one strategy to help communication feel easier for you. And so I call this mapping it out. Okay. And I've written about it, posted about it. There's social media, Instagram, everywhere. All right. And so this is the idea. We call it, <laughs> I've been calling it recently, and it's going to go into our new series of books, our go-to guides on uh, therapy activities, mm -hmm. which we just started um, during COVID. Fun. Yes. Um, uh, one, we're going to call it Technica Palooza. <laughs> and this is the idea of discussing with kiddos the strategies that exist the evidence-based ones, I will say, mm -hmm. stop getting your lists of strategies off of Pinterest. 
I'm not kidding. The six that comes across my Pinterest feed, the six, the 16 strategies, mushy mouth, feather speech. These are not strategies. They're all the same thing. They're like five words for easy starts. And so can we just teach kids easy onset of phonation and stay with what one thing that helps them, right? Yeah. Same thing with all the other, you know, it, yeah, let's not go there. So the idea is let's get those evidence-based strategies that have stood the test of time. Let's the prerequisite to be um, having a paradigm shift in our own mind to help kids understand the rationale a little bit of why these strategies exist. But the paradigm shift for us comes from these strategies. And here it comes are not to help kids not stutter. Mm -hmm. The intent of these strategies has to be introduced to children who stutter and their families as strategies to increase ease of communication. Do you see the difference? Yes. If you teach a child an easy start so that they won't stutter, you might as well call it an avoidance behavior. Okay. There's a mind blowing. I, I, I can hear it through the airwaves. Yeah. We want to make sure that as we introduce any strategy, be it one that helps kids ease into speech, like easy onset, light articulatory contact, or ease out of stutters, pull out, preparatory set, cancellation, voluntary stutters. Thank you, Van Riper, Sheehan, and all the people before us. Anything that we introduce, we are introducing it to help them communicate in an easier way. To decrease struggle, all of these things will decrease avoidances. If I know what to do with a stutter, and by the way, it's okay that I stutter, we could have a whole nother hour about the, our most successful Instagram post to this date is start with, it's okay to stutter. Yes. Starting from there and then helping kids Find a way, if they're struggling with their speech, if they're avoiding helping them, number one, know that it's okay that this is going on. This is the way their speech machine is working right now. (laughs) It's not a mistake. It's not an error. It's natural for people who stutter to stutter and mind blown. And then help them with these strategies and see them in a new way. So the steps are to for us, have a working knowledge of each strategy and a rationale behind it, be able to demonstrate it and model it for students and work with them. We have a video for each of these strategies on our website, in our YouTube channel. We have a summary sheet for each of these strategies that takes you to through why are you doing what you are doing to help kids understand it, not just do it, so it lasts longer because if they don't know why they're doing what they're doing, it's it's going to phase out and they're not going to be able to use it in real life. Right. So we're going to get a no, steps, get focused and learn to categorize these strategies that we're introducing and the intent of the strategies. Number two, make certain that that strategy is discussed in a communication easier intent. Mm -hmm. Number three, choose and introduce the strategies based on the child's needs, 
not on a programmed approach and not just because you're more comfortable with easy starts than anything else. <laughs> Thank you. I'm sorry. Thank I'm you. Sorry. No, no, that's what we need. We need that. I know. And and actually, every SLP I ever say that to says, I knew that. Sure. There, it's not like SLPs are around going, I don't care about kids who stutter. I'm just going to do this. They want this information. They want to feel better and more comfortable sure. in what they're doing. Sure. And so I hope that we're giving them some opportunities to to find that for themselves, because this is as much of a process for speech language pathologists as it is for people who stutter and their families. Whatever strategy, this is my last step in sort of the mapping it out um, activity. Whatever strategy you guys choose first based on the child's needs, okay? We're going to outline the rationale. In, in ways that that child can understand in language. We're good at, at adapting language for different ages and cognitive abilities. We're going to learn how, to, we're going to model it. We're going to discover it, not teach it. We're going to discover it together. Yes, yes. And then we're going to do like we do with everything else. We're going to work along a hierarchy of linguistic complexity and the hierarchy of speaking situations that this child is going to try to use these strategies in. Because our first day with this, we've got to be thinking about getting them on the road, getting them out of the therapy room. Yeah. And how can the child, how can we best help the child sustain that? And so I've already said, you know, the summary sheets are there, the there are things that are out there to help clinicians feel more comfortable with the strategies and feel better about which ones they're picking um, with the child's help. Ooh, and all of that is on stutteringtherapyresources.com. What about your Instagram account? Um, our Instagram, see, we're very smart. Our Instagram account is Stuttering Therapy Resources. <laughs> our Facebook page is Stuttering Therapy Resources. Um, you know, at Stuttering Therapy Res for Twitter. Uh, it's we we made the name of our company because we're so passionate about this. What we decided our company was going to be about stuttering therapy or resources. <laughs> exactly, and you are the main resource. Oh, Nina, I could listen to you for another mm, three or four hours. You are just interesting and down to earth and practical, and it all makes so much sense. I just appreciate you so much, not only for being here on the speech link, but I appreciate you for being out there and sharing your information with all of us. Thank you, Nina. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the speech link. Please check out my other offerings at my website, charvoshart.com, and also speechtherapypd.com. See you next time for more interviews, information, and insights. Until then, thank you so much for all that you do with your speech kids. Be well, and God bless.